Welcome to Survive or Thrive, Lustic Healing for Pets. I'm your host, Chris Canone. Today, we're going to talk about a hot topic, pet food. Our guest today, again, is, is holistic vet and vocal pet advocate, Dr. Anya Corden from Animal Health Oasis in Naples, Florida. Welcome back, Dr. Corden. Yes, hi. Thanks for having me. Let's see, food seems to be a big uh, topic today in uh, the pet industry. I'm talking about processed food and kibble and seems to be a lot of controversy swirling around it. Why? Well, there's controversy, that's for, for sure. There's even a lot of controversy within the holistic vet field, so not even those people are thinking the same as the same kind of group of people. Um, well, people want to have um, a simple food that they can serve their pets, but simple is not always the best. Um, you could compare it with, well, let's go to McDonald's or any other um, junk food provider and uh, have a Big Mac versus going to a restaurant where you get the farmed animal burger, you know, like from farmed animals, like that were grass-fed pastures and um, really um, healthy burger versus something where you are not sure what's in it. Does yeah, that make sense? That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so, or kind of like giving your dog some of this this kibble kind of looks like somebody said it looks like giving your dog a hamburger helper without the hamburger, just the dry stuff, and that right. sounded terrible. Well, it is. I mean, have you smelled these bags? Oh, I know it. It, it and, doesn't. It and, doesn't smell real. And, and then good. people are amazed why their dogs stink. I mean, I've had people come to my home and they said, "Oh." I could start having a dog now because your house has no smell. I said, well, my dog has no smell because it doesn't have to have a smell. <laughs> so it's really, I mean, where do you think that smell is going if you put it in your body? It's the same with us. If we, we eat uh, low quality food, we will stink. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw an interesting article here about how this pet food, this, this pet food kibble is made. Do you mind if I... Mind no, if I read here no, for you? This is the shocking truth about commercial dog food, and this is from the Dog Food Advisor. Uh, let's see here. It says the rendering plant floor is piled high with raw product, and that's in quotes. Thousands of dead dogs and cats, heads and hooves from cattle, sheep, pigs, and horses, whole skunks, rats, and raccoons, all waiting to be processed. In the 90 degree heat, the piles of dead animals seem to have a life of their own as millions of maggots swarm over the carcasses. Two bandana-masked men begin operating bobcat mini-dozers, loading the raw into a 10-foot-deep stainless steel pit. They are undocumented workers from Mexico doing a dirty job. A giant auger at the bottom of the pit begins to turn. Popping bones and squeezing flesh are sounds from a nightmare you will never forget. Rendering is the process of cooking raw animal material to remove, remove the moisture and fat. The rendering plant works like a giant kitchen. I don't think I'd want that in my kitchen. I can't it. even imagine that. Because <laughs> the cooker or chef blends the raw product in order to maintain a certain ratio between the carcasses of pets, livestock, poultry waste, and supermarket rejects. 
wonder what they mean by supermarket rejects. Well, it could be old meat, could be, yeah, mostly it's all the old meat, the, 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 the stuff that goes back in the garbage, you know, the, and then they can send it there because it's a rendering plant. That's what happens there. That is a rend that's okay, rendering plant. Once the mass is cut into small pieces, it is transported to another auger for fine shredding. It is then cooked at 280 degrees for one hour. That's supposed to kill all the bad bacteria and things like that. Yeah, that's the idea. Any, any, okay. Actually, that's how mad cow disease came to life. Are you aware of that? No. Mad cow disease tells you anything? No? Ugh. That was actually... Yeah, uh, I remember. Yeah, remember I remember that? mad cow disease. Yeah, yeah I you, do. You never heard the origin of it? No. Um, that actually they traced it back to basically um, there is a disease in sheep um, that is very similar to mad cow disease. And they traced it back back when to uh, a rendering plant or yeah, at least one rendering plant that didn't heat up enough where it basically didn't kill the germ that was in the in the sheep that actually died of the disease and so then of course this kind of powder is being fed as you're gonna gonna see i know that's what the article is going to talk about because it's basically becoming um the food again it's going this stuff what they are processing in these rendering plants goes back in the food of our farm animals and even in our pet animals food and so basically back when they actually realized that it heated up enough to kill that virus that supposedly was the, the not even a, it was a prion, it was not even a virus, they were talking prion. So yeah, so accidents have happened and always happen with this kind of quality of stuff. I mean, I wouldn't even call that quality. <laughs> well, Ugh. this kind of quality. <laughs> <laughs> It says the continuous batch cooking process goes on nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week as meat is melted away from bones into the hot soup. During this cooking process, the soup produces a fat of yellow grease or tallow that rises to the top and is skimmed off. The cooked meat and bone are sent to a hammer mill press, which squeezes out the remaining moisture and pulverizes the product into a gritty powder. Shaker screens sift out excess hair and large bone chips. Once the batch is finished, all that is left is yellow grease, meat, and bone meal. Mm. It says, welcome to the dark side of recycling. <laughs> so what on earth could this unsavory concoction be legitimately used for? Certainly not to make anything edible, right? Unfortunately, as hard as it is to believe, the final product of this grisly process is sold as a source of protein and fat for making animal feeds. That's right, food made to be fed to chickens, pigs, cattle, and pets. Every day, hundreds of rendering plants across America ship thousands of pounds of this recycled rubbish to ranches, farms, feedlots, and pet food manufacturers. Each batch of rendered product must be labeled according to its dominant animal source. Think about it, dominant animal source. So that makes you really think. Because maybe then yeah. it, means, it means even if you say you're buying a kibbled food that says chicken, it may just be the dominant protein in there. Now that's a whole different dimension of pet allergy. So let's say you did an allergy test for your dog and it says your dog is allergic to beef and you buy this dominant protein kibble for chicken and never know there was beef in there too, if it's really the dominant one. I have to, I'm not sure about this one, but that's pretty interesting to think about. 
Ah, so it says the ingredients most likely to be made in the same way tend to have vague names that fail to clearly identify the source animal. Okay. For example, animal byproduct meal, meat byproduct meal, animal fat. All are products of similar rendering processes. Yeah. I mean, I that's, that's just, there's, there's even more to that. You know, that's actually... Um, I know it's the truth because I worked in large animal practice, like uh, this was back in Germany. And so same, same processing there. And I do remember one night uh, we had the late afternoon small animal practice. And um, I, I mean, I was hired there as a veterinarian and they just told me, um, well, you're going to go and throw this dead body in the dumpster at the slaughterhouse. Um, for it to then go to the rendering plant. And so, I mean, the, 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 the bad thing about this, in addition, what uh, people sometimes don't think about, and of course nowadays that has changed with the pets, they really have like cremation for, for pets. And so these bodies get cremated. I always say it's the safest to actually do private cremation. That way you know you get ashes back and you know the veterinarian hopefully has checked on the people that they're dealing with. So they're legitimate. There was betrayals have happened there too, that you actually get the ashes from your dog back or from your cat. Um, but the thing is, if we euthanize these animals and we use these, um, um, you know, uh, phenobarbitols and stuff, these sedation things, and they go in the rendering plant too, and then we feed it back to our animals. What do you think happens then? How healthy do you think that is? Well, not very well, and what else is other well, any chemicals, chemicals going to use, uh, well, euthanizing I mean, an animal? I mean, there's it was well, that's actually ketamine just and phenobarbital, and, right? And but then, of course, stuff. these animals oh, often are sick and are on antibiotics and stuff. And you know, in large animal practice, they actually like look when, when you slaughter an animal, then you look like when for meat processing, you know, for human consumption, and hopefully, actually, for animal consumption, you would usually look. Um, that this animal has been not on antibiotics, at least like depends on which antibiotic was at least two, three weeks before that was stopped. But since we're putting it in the back door, when we do this kind of quality, really bad. So you really want to be careful with the kibbled food that you're feeding because that could be in there. It doesn't have to be in there. There's other quality ones. And of course, it will be more expensive to have something that doesn't have this cheap filler in there. Yeah. That's one way of the kibbled food like uh, can, that's that making it possibly dangerous. I mean, there's other uh, thoughts about the kibbled food, you know, so uh, you can uh, go ahead. I mean, basically... Yeah, I had this story, and, and, and I mean, you know, the, the food manufacturers, they want to sell their food. So, in fact, when I came to the United States as a young vet veterinarian, um, and uh, I worked um, at a veterinary clinic, and we had a luncheon, and a pet food manufacturer was there. You know what the first word was out of their mouth when they um, were pitching their kibbled food no. to everybody and uh, so we would sell that he said the dog is an omnivore do you know what that means that means they eat both meat and they eat everything well what do you think the dog is I think he's a carnivore well so you know more than these people <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and I was like baffled. I was sitting there and there were veterinarians and technicians there. And I kept looking at them and I was like, why is nobody saying something? I was actually just hired as the fresh technician there because I wasn't certified in this country yet. So I was not as a veterinarian in my capacity. So I wasn't supposed to keep quiet. And I kind of <laughs> was uh, really um, taken back. I wasn't sure what they were learning here at school when I heard that no, none of the veterinarians said anything <laughs> against that. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, I mean, that, and, and you know that if you say the dog is an omnivore, then you can uh, sell them the kibbled food. Think about this. What is it? What's in the kibbled food quite often? The first ingredient quite often is actually not what a carnivore should have. It's quite often actually what an omnivore could have, which would be potentially some kind of corn or some kind of grain, specifically the old days, it was more and more like this. And, and so that's why you have to say it's an omnivore to justify that you give this kind of food to a, like a dog or a cat, if you convince everybody that they're omnivores. And so then the next thing that you have to look at, at the package, actually, you know, nowadays they, they, they pitch this grain-free stuff. They say it's grain-free. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, Grain-free, quite often they use potatoes or sweet potatoes as a grain substitute. Uh -huh. And then you look at the back, and you really have to do this. Anybody who's listening to us, or you look at your next uh, uh, bag that you ever can see in a store of pebbled food, and you look, and what it tells you, it says, gives you the percentage of protein in there. So let's say it has percentage of protein of uh, 35%. We could look at a pack. I don't have one right here. Um, but, okay, 35% of protein, then they say maybe 5% uh, of fat. So now we're at 40%. And um, then they may say moisture or something. And then when you add this up, you can come maybe to 45%. Well, what do you think the rest is? Good question. It's not labeled. And so people think they read the bag and they say like, wow, great, there's protein in there, there's fat in there. Um, it doesn't say anything about carbohydrates. Which is, if it's, you've got 40, was it 40% protein, 5% fat, then you've got... Yeah, they're slightly all different, but most of them actually over 50% is not telling you what it is. And which is carbohydrates, which is sugar. Yeah. Which is what you want to avoid. That's so they don't label it. They don't have to. So when you really read, read your kibbled food bag the next time and, and add up what they tell you in percentage, how much that is, and then you have to fill in the, the, the missing number to add, add it up to 100 to get what the rest is. And the rest is the carbohydrates. Like that's the sweet potatoes or the legumes. They've been starting to do legumes, and uh, which is a whole different topic that I think we, we were – um, kind of discuss, you know, so yeah. if you have more questions, it's your turn. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well I've just been hearing things about a plant-based diet. Now I, people are putting their dogs on a plant-based diet because it's better for the environment. I don't know. I don't know if dog farts and cat farts, <laughs> you know, are causing greenhouse gases. I mean, well, they're talking, is there anything? They're really talking the about, well, there's diet. like all these, we just, these factories and you have these cattle fields and stuff. And so, of course, a percentage of that goes to the pet food industry. 
So then they're saying that's that's the issue. But uh, and so of course, if you have a person that is into the vegan stuff, uh, I mean, I have pet owners that do come to me and um, they are vegan and they absolutely do not want to feed meat to their carnivores. And since, of course, we just discussed that because I mean, this is <laughs> the, the the real thing is really. You look at the animal, and that's why I was so baffled when nobody said something when this food manufacturer company um, that is teaching um, nutrition to people here um, were saying this. I'm like, what kind of anatomy did they learn here? I mean, I had anatomy classes where I came from, and it was very clearly visible on the teeth structure that this is different from our omnivores ones, because who is an omnivore really? In the animal world, who is it? Like we, we have like five animals that we learn in school, five common species that, that are taught to us at veterinarians. We have the carnivores, so it's the dog, the cat. Mm -hmm. Then we have the um, omnivores. And so who's that in the animal world? It's the, it's the pigs. And the pigs oh. are actually the most comparable with us because we are omnivores. So they have the similar teeth to us and they have a similar digestive tract. That's why they've been using cow, um, pig hearts and organs for transplants in the, in the, in the earliest days. Yeah, to humans. Really? Yeah. So, so, that's, so, so that's your omnivore. And then, of course, we learn the other species, of course, the herbivores. And in the herbivores, we have the ones with, with several stomachs. And so that would be like your cow, your sheep, your goat. And then we have the horses. So that's kind of the, the five species of, yeah, like groups. And so we learn them all in that school. So we have a broad spectrum and then we see the differences and that gives us the baseline to understand how often do they eat? Well, how do they eat? How do they digest their food? Um, that's taught in vet school. At least it was in Germany. I, I didn't go to school here. I, I had exams here and had my certification in this country, but I didn't really go to school here. So I don't know. I cannot compare. People ask me all the time. I did have nutritional classes. Unfortunately, back when, when I did it, it may, that, that may have changed in Germany too. I don't know. But it was actually the professors that were teaching us. We were not having the food companies come in and teach us. It doesn't mean that it was superior. So they didn't tell us as much. Most of what I learned, I learned later on in doing my own research. So. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I've ever seen a dog go out uh, running out into a cornfield and and grab a, an ear of corn. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you know, like like I, I didn't, I didn't chase after. It. Yeah, I didn't finish this. So the people come to me and say, like, I want to have my dog be uh, like a, a vegan dog, and I'm like, that can be difficult. I mean, you should have a pig then rather than a dog, than a carnivore. So then you can probably do that better. And, and you're right. I mean, that's the next thing. Like, yeah, so so such a person wants to feed him flaxseed and all kinds of like, and, and just all vegan. And like, how many times have you seen a wolf uh, casually go through the flaxseed field and eating flaxseed? Uh, yeah. Or, or, there, or, or, or like field, or... through the sweet potato field, eating sweet potatoes. <laughs> so who, who would be eating those? Think about it. Who would be eating those? Who would eat the flaxseed out there? What kind of animal? That would be a rabbit. Yeah. 
We see so many rabbits even hopping around here where we are. It's amazing how they, of course, can survive whatever conditions and they find something to eat and they are the ones who will eat the flax and actually like thrive on the flax seed. And then what, how has nature really foreseen that? Like then what? The rabbit is supposed to go in the dog. I mean, the wolf, the closest cousin of the dogs. Mm -hmm. That's how, it, or how it's done out there, the coyote. You know, because they, the coyotes eat the smaller prey, uh, prey and the dogs, uh, the, the wolves would go for the bigger ones because they are like hunting together more. So even so they're seeing that the more they observe the animals in the wild, the more they learn. And that's really what should always be our teacher for all the animals, all of them. Well, so. obviously uh, politics or correctness have taken over because why would you feed a carnivore uh, a vegan diet. What what does that do? What does that do to the dog? Well, if that, you don't get that the proper creates protein all these or kind whatever of deficiencies and problems, and where they've recently been discussing like heart problems being a big deal, and so then some theories came out. And um, I do have uh, the idea of why that was an issue because some of these vegan kibbled foods actually use started using like peas and legumes of uh, like lentils mm -hmm. and. Uh, so then, of course, you have that challenge that basically um, the legumes, if they are not processed totally correctly, that's the issue even when we do this, when we eat lentils or beans, if we're not uh, taking care of that, these, these, these enzyme inhibitors are removed in the cooking process, then these uh, phytates that are in there can actually start causing problems because they will actually make us deficient in, in certain vitamins. So Same that's, group. that's what, of course, and, and even more so if you're talking about dog, because I mean, think about it, like uh, the dogs, they, they even have much more problems or cats even more. So they would probably not even eat leg legumes. Cats are so much more difficult to, to convince to eat <laughs> because they, what is it with a cat? They want just the freshest. A cat usually is so designed so much more a carnivorous animal. So more specific for that, they need a higher percentage and they want only fresh kill use usually. And you will never get a wild cat to happily eat dead meat. They want that fresh kill. It has to be as fresh as possible. I have like a great story where basically Seth Holter, my permaculture teacher, um, talks about it where he had lynx. So he was having like in the farm that he used to have, he had lynx there. And one day he bought a whole bunch of hundred like um, chickens that he bought cheap somewhere for his, uh, his lynx. And uh, then he gave them, and he, he put that, that chicken in there alive because he needed to get like food for them. And uh, that was like from a farm. It was a farm chicken. Like, like I said, he bought about 50 or 100. And uh, the next day, everything was gone. He's like, oh, my lynx must be hungry. But not any feather, nothing was to be seen. And the next day, he like again gave another chicken. Same thing happened. Next day again, but his lynx got skinnier and skinnier. It was like a male and a female. And they got skinnier and they didn't look good. And he like, something is, is up here. And then he started looking and he started uh, looking around in the cage. And then he saw one area that dirt was freshly opened and these chickens were killed, but they were buried whole, not even touched at all because the lynx wouldn't touch it because that's how they didn't like this chemically loaded chicken. 
it took him, I think he said, he says a number, like it took him at least a month, if not three months of having to feed these chickens and get the toxins out of them. And then the lynx finally accepted them. So it was in the end, not a cheap deal. <laughs> in the long it's, run, no. It's interesting when you when you hear these stories. Yeah. It makes you really realize. I mean, the zoos nowadays have convinced the zoo animals to to eat like kibble shrimp, and and that's not healthy. I mean, I've talked about no. the studies in the zoos. They they actually because I work with zoo veterinarians, and um, basically they were seeing these issues that uh, when we when we change the diet to a non natural diet, uh, the whole um, intestinal wall is like the whole you know, they have those villi in the, in the intestines. It has a huge surface usually for absorption stuff. It's all like like cut off in, in the herbivores. They had studies already as early as in the 1970s about this. So it's not that uh, they evolve same with us. We're not evolving fast so that we can now thrive on junk food. Neither can our animals. So the solution is obviously what? We're going back to copying what's happening out in nature. And that's, and that's where the success is. Okay. Which that being a raw diet. Right. And I mean, the, the, the most famous uh, study that everybody should be looking for is it comes from the 1940s. I mean, you've heard me talk about it at some point, right? Was that the, the, the Pottinger cat study? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's an amazing study. And you, do you know that that's what it was about cats, but you can totally apply it to dogs. You can apply it to humans. If we would have looked at this and learned this, I mean, everybody, then we wouldn't do what we're doing nowadays. It's a 10-year study on 900 cats. Think about the number. It's impressive. It's huge. Yeah. Nobody's going to pull up a study like this anymore. Besides, the animal rights would never allow this. And I agree, shouldn't we? We have the study. We have it documented. We don't need it anymore. So what was the upshot of the Pottinger cat study? Well, you basically, they, they looked at uh, giving them raw meat versus cooked meat and raw milk versus cooked milk. I mean, pretty much every milk you get out there nowadays, any dairy that you get anywhere is cooked. And so dairy is absolutely something you should never take, even as a human, unless you would have your own cow or your own goat or your own sheep anymore, then then maybe you could drink a little bit. But but, I mean, besides, uh, really, which mammal out there in the wild or any wild in, in, in like 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 uh, any uh, indigenous people anywhere would be ever drinking milk once they're they're grown out of the baby stage when you do that i don't know anybody humans are the only ones from what i understand humans are the only ones that drink milk now besides they're been, not even drinking yeah. it from their own species think about yeah. that I mean, think about it. You go to the farmer's market and there's, there's a booth and they're selling milk and I take you over there and then we drink a glass of milk. And by the time we're finished, I tell you this was human milk. <laughs> you would be so disgusted, wouldn't you be? Probably. <laughs> that's, but that's how brainwashed we are. Think about it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's crazy. So that's the milk story. So the partnership study basically had that and, and had the raw and cooked. And what was the big outcome was basically these animals on just cooked meat and cooked dairy did horribly. Besides, they couldn't even reproduce healthy offsprings anymore. They were all like the, the, the skulls were deformed. The teeth were not fitting in the mouth anymore. Um, they had neurological damage. So sounds familiar. I've heard those kind of issues. 
Mm-hmm. It's amazing how nature still lets us get away with it. And of course, the Pottinger's pet study had it like they didn't reinforce it with artificial vitamins and minerals as they do with all our processed food, whether that's human or animals. So they, they meet the minimal standards for surviving, but not for thriving. So we're going back to what well, well, you just want to like kind of survive and be like chronically sick. And that's what we're seeing. We are seeing this big time in the dogs and cats nowadays. And of course we see that in humans, pretty much almost everybody's chronically sick. So we need even more. So the best food we can get, the best fuel. I mean, yeah. think about it. If, uh, if you take your car and you put the wrong fuel in your car, I mean, what do you have? You have a gas-driven car, right? Like your yeah. So, if you put some diesel in there, what's what's happening? You're gonna kill your car. You're gonna kill the engine. It's it's not the proper fuel. It's the the car shows you faster than your body, and that's actually unfortunate because that's why everybody keeps abusing their body and their animals' bodies because of the the body tries to make up and undo the damage. But it's damage. It's not fit for human consumption. Not fit for animal consumption. Most of what we're feeding out is besides loaded, as we were talking about, loaded stuff, other stuff too. Yeah, that's why our animals are getting diseases like we're getting. Cancer, yeah, so cancer and diabetes, yeah, cancer and diabetes, and things like that in humans. A hundred years ago, were rare. And there was a story about a doctor who brought his students in about 100, 70, 80, 100 years ago, brought his students in to see a case of lung cancer. He says, you'll probably never see a case of this in the rest of your career. It's so rare. But now because of the food and the toxins and everything else, and the air and the water, food, everything else, we're seeing diabetes, <clears throat> cancer, all sorts of other diseases, and we're seeing them in our pets because we're feeding them the same garbage. Yes. Right. Okay. And and what's even worse for the animals is that they're so close to the ground. So even more so. And then what's what's in the veggies even that they're getting? We have like so much Roundup now in there, and other pesticides and herbicides and fertilizers. And uh, they of course they stick their nose in it and they they taste the grass and. It was quite often out of desperation because they like to get some fresh stuff. So what do I really recommend is like imitate best to have the prey model going. So, you know, when, when you're feeding your animal, which means, of course, you kind of want to see. I mean, the healthiest, the healthiest cats on the planet. What are they eating? What do you think? I'm guessing they're catching mice, uh, exactly. rodents, um, um, rabbits, That's whatever what else they like, and birds. To eat, they're like so good at it. They get, I mean, a healthy cat has so much fun doing this, and it's not being mean because it doesn't have an attempt. It's just instinct. They know how to do it. They, they catch their, their um, mouse and they eat it. If, it were, if we were humans would stop feeding them the bad stuff, then they would actually eat their mouse. And, and then well, there's, there's nothing mean about it because it would keep itself in balance. And that's really appropriate then. Of course, what, you know, the best, big misconception because people say then what, that's dangerous and bacteria and stuff like, you know. In, in yeah, this is, you, can't, you can't feed your dog uh, a raw diet because they can come up with uh, uh, nutritional deficiencies 
you feed them wrong. Uh, what was it? A DC, DCM? It's, uh, I guess it's a heart. Yeah, that's the, 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 that's actually, that's going more like the, that, um, you know, like the cardiomyopathy. So the degenerative cardiomyopathy, that's what it stands for. And that's really, again, it's, it's actually more an issue of giving them the cooked stuff or giving them the absolutely wrong thing because, yeah, legumes, lentils, and flaxseed is not for dogs. They cannot convert it. It's inflammatory. A lot of those designer foods now have more and more flaxseed in there. And it actually can cause arthritis because it's really, they cannot, the dogs are not, and the cats are not equipped to convert the ALA into the end stage that is in the fish oil or in the meat. And that's why I'm saying it's like that the rabbit eats the flaxseed and then the end stage is in the rabbit, in their meat already, in the oils and stuff. That's a DHA and EPA. Okay. So that's, and some people cannot convert it. Just That's a problem for people too. They shouldn't eat flaxseed. A lot of them get arthritis and they think the healthy people, the vegan ones, and they think uh, they don't understand what's going on because they, they eat all these, these raw flax crackers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not good for everybody. Uh, what about uh, coconut oil for your dog? Well, I'm, you know, the, the oils, that's a whole different story in, in, in general. I mean, I told you just now fish oil. The fish oil is a good choice. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really, we should absolutely not feed our animals any plant-based oils, which is including coconut oil. It is totally, um, it's, think about it. What is an oil? I mean, what is that? It's a refined product. It's separated. I mean, the coconut is a different story from the coconut oil. The avocado from the avocado oil. The sunflower seed from the sunflower oil. The avocado oil from the avocado. And I'm not saying they're all good for fit for consumption for dogs. But I'm saying in general, like even for people, plant-based oils are a big no-no. Anybody who stops eating any kind of plant-based oils, yeah, including coconut oil. I understand most people love coconut oil. I just had a client the other day come in. I'm sure I helped him by saying the three words that I'm asking him, basically. Is, do you, well, like I said, I said, like, so, so he's, he, he asked me, so I have that with some clients. They asked me, of course, they know me for years. And, and he was telling me that he's having joint problems and that he just, it started taking the glucosamine because it helped this dog. He saw it help after I gave his dog glucosamine and he's like, I'm taking it too. I mean, not what I gave his dog. I'm, I, I don't know whether he does that one. I, I didn't ask that. I'm guessing he got his own brand. Um, and uh, he said, I'm doing better, but I still have some issues. And he described it to me. He said, I, I'm waking up in the morning. And I have these stiff tendons and, and it's just burning. And, and, uh, and I said, well, are you actually taking coconut oil? He's like, yeah, lots. We have the creamer and everything. My wife started taking that. And he's like, well, come to think about it. Ever since I've been starting to do this, that's when I started having these problems. So lots of people get tendonitis, even like on the foot, feet. And, you know, the fasciitis down there. And mm. like, yeah. And uh, when they stop and, and trigger finger. Yeah. Flaxseed, big time. Coconut oil, big time. So I said to him, well, it's up to you. You could stop it for a while and see whether it makes a difference. So, but I, I've seen many people, including myself, I'm super sensitive to it. So that's how I know. Yeah. So, huh. again, um, 
you know, I mean, it's a, you know, the other big thing is, of course, we we do feed raw raw uh, bones. I mean, I do like raw bones for the dogs. Um, raw bones. Yeah, raw. Everybody yells about you're feeding your dog bones. You're feeding your dog bones. Well, yeah, if it's a raw bone. Yeah, I mean, what would there be to bone. eat for the for the wild wolves and the coyotes if they couldn't eat bones? They would be starving. Think about it. Right. Well, they they eat everything, right? When they when they they kill something, they eat they basically eat it all. They eat the bones, they yeah. eat the, the the muscle meat, and they eat the uh, organ meats. The organ meats, yeah. yeah. And, and they wood. eat all uh, and everything. But one thing actually that they eat a lot of too, and we'll get to the bones. But so they open up a car- carcass and they eat the intestines and the contents of the intestines. And that's where they get the pre-digested or pre-fermented vegetables. That's actually the biggest uh, uh, danger we're having with raw food feeding because it's not in that prefab dog food. It can't be because if it is in there, there's too many bacteria, and then that could actually cause a problem, but that's why it's not in there. So we have to imitate that. We have to imitate that, that those veggies, and actually the best one that I'm coming up with was, was really like, which one do you think? Sauerkraut, cabbage. Yeah, pre-fermented, right? Yeah. That's kind of similar to what you would probably find in the intestines of like an herbivore or even like that has been eating grass. It's at least it's cabbage that was fermented. So maybe that rabbit has been chewing on the cabbage in the yard where it was. And or carrots or yeah, whatever. That is pre-fermented because there's all these, the, the, the microbes, the good ones that are helping to digest that and make it a good food and make it a good absorbable food for the, the the rabbit as long as it's alive. And then, well, if it falls prey to a wolf or um, a cat or whatever, then it actually um, is good food for them. And there's enzymes in there, and then they eat the rest. And then they eat, of course, the meaty bone, and that's how they keep their teeth uh, healthy and clean. And it has to be the meaty bone. I have a funny story for that one. I told, I told that retriever uh, owner that came to me. I said, well, feed your, um, feed, feed uh, Buddy, um, what's his name? And, and I said, feed Buddy um, some of the lamb shanks. You find those lamb shanks. You can get them in the grocery shop. And uh, I saw him two weeks later. And he said, can I feed him anything else but the, but the lamb shanks? And it's not that he fed that every day. I said, do this like twice a week. And, and I'm like, why? And he's like, I'm getting tired of the lamb. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so he's like, well, I'm buying these lamb shanks and then I'm cutting the meat off and I give the dog the, the, the bone and I eat the meat. And I said, no, your dog should have the meaty bone. <laughs> So, so that's when you don't, you're not clear enough on what you're saying. So, and it is actually the pet industry even sells the bones, and they have all the meat scraped off. That's why I'm getting them in the grocery shop. So I have the meat on there. I mean, we have turkey necks that we get from some of those, and that's fine. That's that's good and this is soft. But you have to do the soft bones. Very important to me. soft bones because yes, if you take a beef bone and you take like a long bone then they can actually crack their teeth and the dogs and the, or the, the, the coyotes or the, or the wolves out in the wild wouldn't be, wouldn't be doing this. They, they eat at the ends where the cartilage is and they eat the meat up and then they take, if it's a veal, 
um, to a young animal or the lamb, then those bones are soft. That's why I'm recommending the lamb shanks versus, and, and, and I'm not recommending veal. Why am I not recommending veal? Because I see so much allergies to beef. So veal, veal or cow is out anyway. So all these, even that, those raw hives, horrible. That's absolutely, like, like that's, that's the same story as these rendering plants. It's horrible, the quality of that stuff. So don't ever do that. Isn't there a, a video on your website about how, how? Uh, yeah, the rendering, the, you do that from uh, the rendering, like how you take the, 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 the raw high five. Yeah, the raw, raw, raw high is made. How they're made. Yeah. 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 yeah, we go on Animal Health Oasis and go under videos. There's uh, tutorials and then yeah, other other like, videos, yeah. and she's got some wonderful, <clears throat> wonderful videos on there. Go take a look at them. Um, yeah, it, it it's amazing. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. Oof. There have been dogs that have died from oh often as a foreign body, and that's the same yeah. thing because we haven't we haven't finished this because yeah. You know, the big fear is always the raw bone, uh, the, the, the bones, like, and then I have to say raw. And we've had these phone calls. We've had these phone calls when people call us and like, my dog ate a bone and, and my staff gets all nervous and thinks it's, it's one of our clients and the raw bone was a problem. But it has always been a cooked bone that became a, a potential problem. You know, like whatever they get, sometimes even like chicken wings. So even chicken bones can be fed if they're raw but not, not cooked. And so if they're like out in the, in the communities and somebody threw their chicken wing bone in, in the hedge and the dog grabs it, that can be a danger for the dog, depends on the size of the dog. And that's where, where this misconception comes because they splinter, they're hard and brittle. And then they splinter and they can cause all kinds of problems. And that's, that's when your dog ends up having a surgery, you know, for a foreign body, which is dramatic surgery. You don't want to do that. Ooh. So uh, raw bones, yeah. I haven't seen it happen. And even more so if you give them more digestive enzymes with it. That's kind of my little insurance. I mean, in the kibble food, you need digestive enzymes. You should always feed it with digestive enzymes, even more so. But in the raw food, uh, like in the raw food, yes, it helps because we all cannot have enough digestive enzymes. That way we take the heavy load of um, our stomach having to produce hydrochloric acid that should be in your digestive enzyme um, and supplement that you can take. And uh, the pancreatic enzymes should be in there. And so the more are in your body, the better, because these enzymes will also help digest any potential bad proteins like cancer starting and stuff or old cells because we're made from protein. So you can yeah. never do enough. And when you do this with a bone, it gets digested. I had a veterinarian in San Diego, a holistic veterinarian, tell me years ago, he actually did the study. He fed dogs the raw bones. And then he took x-rays and then he looked how long he saw the raw bones because, of course, you see bones in the x-rays and he looked how long he could see them in the stomach and they were digested in no time. So he could totally, hmm. they, he, he did his own little study. So it's not a problem as long as it's raw because that way it can be digested. And the softer bones, not the, not the big leg bones. Well, yeah, or, the or, big or, leg bones. Or the knuckle bones. Sure, right. The, no, no, that's, no, no. That's all these things that, again, and that's when, when, when the teeth break, and that's when my dental specialist always says, well, I told you not to feed that. And then he always thinks I recommended it. No, I didn't. <laughs> so no hard bones. You guys hear me? Raw bones, young animals, neck bones, duck, depends on the size of your dog. Chicken is almost too small for everybody. Duck, bone, duck necks, turkey necks. 
uh, lamb shanks uh, or neck bones. And you want to fit it, of course, with the size of the mouth of your dog. Absolutely. Because, of course, if you have to give like something that is like just fitting exactly there, it could get stuck. So, yeah, there is some potential danger. There's some potential danger with anything. But um, mm-hmm. no, infectious stuff, not an issue for digestive tract in the, in the dogs and cats. So, yeah, you know, like it's actually, do you know how long it takes from the, from the mouth to the, to the rear end in a dog? No. 12 hours? 12 hours? Try it out. In the morning, you feed something, maybe put like a little, little uh, hard pee in there mm-hmm. and see whether you find the pee in the poop in the evening. And then you see 12-hour transition time. If not, then you need to walk your dog more often. <laughs> I see a lot of constipated dogs, and I don't see the people walking enough. I would really say at least twice a day, walk your dog. You know, at least twice a day you want to see poop because obviously 12-hour transition time. So Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We've had so much fun, and we still haven't covered this subject. Um, would you please come back again and we will finish this subject. <laughs> we'll, we'll, do, we'll do food number two. Yeah, yeah we'll do food number two. So well, I hope we gave a little bit of insight and uh, thanks for having me. So. I think so. So yeah, I've enjoyed it and, uh, and we'll see you again. Thank you for coming. We, we really appreciate having you. Well, thank you. <laughs>